0: Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence... By bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem." And whatever else is required of the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, A hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. All such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him. Whether for death, or for banishment, or for confiscation of his goods, or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, this evening we come to you, and we bring our hearts, we bring our burdens, we bring our joys, we bring our pains. And we come to You, Lord God, because You have promised that Your Word is life that satisfies our souls. So, Father, I pray that tonight You would do a miracle, that You would supernaturally meet every need in this room by Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit. I pray that You do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one year... After Black Tuesday, that infamous stock market crash that led to the Great Depression in 1929, just one year after that, in 1930, a brand-new, beautiful, Gothic-style building was finished in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. If you travel to Memphis, you can see it today. It was constructed by R.E. Sterling and Wyatt Hedrick, there in downtown Memphis. And they were so creative, they called it the Sterick Building, just both of their last names smushed together. But it was nicknamed the Queen of Memphis. At that time, it was the tallest building in the entire American South. At a time of great financial hardship, arose a symbol of hope and prosperity, a return to the success of former days. But after some time, there arose a problem. Though the building was finished, it was built, though it stood there in all its glory. The city was changing, demographics were moving, and the Queen of Memphis was very expensive to maintain. Very expensive to upkeep. The Queen of Memphis had a finance problem, which soon led to a vacancy problem. By 1986, the building was uninhabited, and it remains vacant today. The building failed to keep the people working there because it lacked the resources. It lacked the funds to maintain the work. The Israelites returning from exile in our passage tonight face a similar problem. The temple has been built. It stands there in Jerusalem, restored to its former glory. Worship has begun in the temple of the King of Heaven. Last week, we met our fearless leader, Ezra who is to lead God's people back to the temple to worship God by the book, according to the law of the Lord. But tonight, there's a finance problem. Okay, the temple's built. Ezra, the the main man, has been chosen and equipped. But what about the worship services? Who's going to pay for that? What about the sacrifices and the vessels? What about the worshipers? What about the ministry staff? Who is going to week in and week out lead worship? Not only was there a finance problem for these exiled Israelites returning, but there was also an authority problem. Remember, the Israelites experienced opposition and were asked this question in chapter 5, who gave you a decree to finish the work. The Israelites were an occupied people under the authority of a foreign king, and they needed permission to do just about everything. So on top of a finance problem, Ezra and God's people have an authorization problem. Who gives you, Ezra, the authority to do this work? And so our text this evening is God's answer to the authority problem and the finance problem. It's a copy of the royal decree of Artaxerxes, which was the law of the land. Remember, a royal decree was law. And this decree is addressed to, you can see it in verse 11. Ezra, the scribe and the priest. And what does it say? It says in so many words, Israel, you have all the authority and all the resources you need from the king, to worship God. Open the royal treasury. We are going to study and and see tonight the sermon in a sentence is this, that God Almighty richly provides everything needed to worship Him rightly. God Almighty richly provides everything everything needed to worship Him rightly. Our text gives us, in three sections, all of these benevolent provisions, these bountiful endowments that God has graciously given to His people so that they might be able to worship Him rightly. In the first section, we see that God has richly provided a people And a sacrifice, a people and a sacrifice. We see this in verses 12 to 20. They say this Artaxerxes, king of kings, that's a prideful claim, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel, or their priests, or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. For you are sent by the king. And his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then you shall with all diligence by bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. Whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. So the king decrees that Ezra may take anyone, any exiled Israelite who wants to return to Jerusalem, whether people or priest or Levite, they may go. They have the king's permission and provision to make the journey and actually to go up. They would travel nearly 900 miles, a four-month journey to worship the Lord. For perspective, 900 miles is roughly a trip from here to Dallas, Texas. It's a long trip. And God has put it in the heart of the king to allow God's people to return to worship Him. God does this. God has always provided a people to worship Him, whether it's from Adam and Eve in the garden to God's people in Exodus coming out of Egypt or here, God's people being brought out from exile all the way to the New Testament where God is calling a flock, a people who know His voice and follow Him. God gathers His people out of the world and provides a way for them to worship Him. First, God richly provides a people. And then in our text, the king gives another instruction in verse 14. You can see it there. He says, You are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of, God, the law of your God, which is in your hand. This is a confirmation, by the way, that the law of God was written down and read because Ezra has it in his hand. God has not left his people in the dark. The God of heaven has not left it to his people to wonder and pontificate on what it means to worship God rightly. Worshiping God rightly is in his word. It means that God, that God wants us to worship, it, worship him in the way that he has prescribed. We need to remember this. It's important for you and me to know that God doesn't leave it up to us to see how we will worship Him. We don't make the rules. God is specific and clear about the way that He requires us to worship Him. And that is according to His law, according to His word. Worship by the book. And the king here is telling Ezra to inquire and see in Jerusalem, if people are in fact worshiping by the law. Which leads us to the other provision in this section. What does God require in His book? God requires, and we'll see in our passage, richly provides a sacrifice. This is detailed out for us in verses 15 to 20. The king gives Ezra silver and gold. Verse 16 All the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia is for the house of God to worship. We see in verse 17 that the money that they are to provide with all diligence, they are to buy bulls and rams, lambs with the grain and drink offerings on the altar. Back in Numbers 15, God lays out how his people are to worship him. There are different sacrifices. They should go together. Certain ones go together. So, for example, God has prescribed in Numbers 15 that if you sacrifice a lamb as a burnt offering, you're also supposed to offer on that altar a quarter of a hin of wine as a drink offering. A hin was four quarts, so you're supposed to add a quart of wine. Or when you sacrifice a ram, you offer a grain offering of a gallon of flour and about a quart of oil. It's funny, I remember teaching about these specific sacrifices to a kid's Sunday school. Any of you who teach kids know how fun it can be and how funny it can be and how much shepherding you have to do in those kinds of theological conversations. And as I was talking about these specific sacrifices, one of the kids uh, said, so these are God's recipes for the food that he likes to eat. And I was like, well, kind of. <laughs> You're on your way I had to shepherd that one in a different direction. Bottom line, God requires sacrifice, specific sacrifices done according to the book, according to his word. And that comes intuitively, I think, for us. We as a culture have gotten used to this way of thinking about God. If I want a good life, I need to go to church. I need to do something for Him. I need to put some money in the plate. I need to give God His due, and He will be happy. He will be appeased. And as Christians, we start to get into this rhythm sometimes. If I just keep doing this, if I just keep reading my Bible, if I just keep offering sacrifices to the Lord, He will be appeased. It's in our nature to want to bring something to God's table. I remember in college going to a white elephant Christmas gift exchange, and I was completely unfamiliar with what that was. I had no idea. Apparently, a white elephant Christmas gift exchange is when you bring a wrapped gift Uh, which is then put in the center and then picked by different people who are at the event. And um, it's confusing. And uh, at the end, you steal from one another. It sounds very pagan, um, but fun. (laughs) But fun, I guess. I remember showing up, not knowing what I was showing up to, and I I didn't have a gift. And I felt this, oh, no. I, f- I felt this inadequacy. I-, I felt this fear, helplessness set in. Everyone else brought something. I-, I needed to bring something. And so I proceeded to take off my shoes. And I put those in a little white Julesco bag, and I tied it kind of with a bow, and I put that in the center. And that night I walked home without shoes. But, but I got a really cool 50-cent little mug, so that, that made up for it. <laughs> We've all experienced at some point or another the feeling of inadequacy and helplessness when we should have brought something, we should have delivered, but instead we show up empty-handed, nothing in our hands. And the truth is, that's exactly how we stand before God, empty-handed, nothing to bring Him. Oh, no. God in heaven requires a sacrifice to offer Him, to atone for our sins, to pay for our crimes against Him, and we don't have it. But our passage gives us this hint, this gracious truth, that that God actually prescribed sacrifices so that one day He might provide them. God doesn't just provide a people to worship him but he provides the actual sacrifice himself consider our text god's people are just returning to jerusalem they're poor they're straight out of exile unable in their own resources to provide any sacrifice for themselves and what does god do out of the royal treasury god richly provides sacrifices on their behalf. God comes to the aid of his people and gives them as an act of unmerited favor, as an act of grace, he gives them all the sacrifices that they will ever need through this royal decree. And we, much like the Israelites, are poor, spiritually poor, straight out of exile, unable in our own spiritual resources to provide any sacrifice to make us right with God. But what did God do? God said, Open the royal treasury of my infinite grace. I will give you the most costly gift, a perfect once-for-all sacrifice, the life of my one and only Son, Jesus Christ. When we were spiritually bankrupt, when we were yet sinners in need of a Savior, when we arrived to the party of God, we had nothing to offer. Oh, no. But God came to the aid of his people, and as an act of unmerited favor, all grace, God gave us the only sacrifice that we will ever need through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. Hallelujah, church. He provided for us. He provided the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Do you know this sacrifice? Maybe this evening you can believe and trust in, for the very first time, the sacrifice that God has provided richly in Christ for your forgiveness. Maybe you're a believer here tonight, are you still trusting in Christ as the only sacrifice that God has provided? Our daily life of living as as sacrifices for God, as a result of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Christians, adds nothing to Christ's atoning work. God has richly provided everything we need to rightly worship Him because Christ has sacrificed His life on our behalf. Amen? Well, In the second section, we get another piece of God's provision. It's that God has provided abundant resources. God has provided for us abundant resources. We see this in verses 21-21. To 24 it says this, and I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven requires of you, let it be done, take note of this phrase, with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. So here King Artaxerxes makes a decree to the treasurer's the royal accountants to provide a line of credit that they don't have to pay back so that anything else required to worship God would be paid for. Notice those numbers in your Bible. A hundred talents of silver, which is almost four tons of silver. Mind you that King Artaxerxes' whole kingdom owned about 12 tons of silver. This was a fourth of all of the wealth of the kingdom of Persia. It is a large sum of money, so large that it functioned to say, "As much as you need, you'll never need this much, but but it's here anyway." The next number, a hundred cores of uh, of wheat, was about six hundred fifty bushels of wheat. Again, more than enough. A hundred baths. A bath was six gallons, so 100 baths was 600 gallons of oil and wine. More than enough. Oh, and salt? Salt's cheap, so uh, you have however much you need. This generous posture towards God's people was also recorded for us in verse 20. It says, Whatever else is required, provide it out of the king's treasury. And this is just an added bonus. Verse 24. God's people are tax-exempt. They don't have to pay any royal taxes or tolls to worship God. Look at this picture of abundant, more-than-enough, over-the-top generosity that God gives to His people through the King that they might rightly worship Him. This benevolent picture of God. Blessing his people through a human king is pointing us to another king. Artaxerxes might have thought that he was the king of kings. But the truth is, he was mistaken. God was lavish to his people to provide everything to worship him through this king, Artaxerxes, in the book of Ezra. But God is even more lavish through our King Jesus, the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The spiritual blessings in Christ are infinitely greater than any material blessing on earth. God has opened his royal treasury for all who would believe in the Lord Jesus. Got a question for you tonight. When's the last time you sat and meditated? on the abundant spiritual blessings you have in Christ. How might that cure the discontentment in your heart? Let's do that together right now. We already mentioned that Christ is the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice on your behalf. You have peace with God, Ephesians 2.14. You have peace with God. Ephesians 1.3, we already mentioned that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is nothing that God has withheld from you in Jesus Christ. Or 1 Peter 1, 1.4 says, You have an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for you. God is keeping an inheritance for everyone in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 reminds us that, that we are to encourage one another, that we have a family of faith. That even if you have a broken family you come from, there is a family of faith to encourage you. We have the hope of the resurrection of the dead, First Thessalonians 4:17, is an encouragement to us that we will be with the Lord Jesus forever, that we know where we are going when we die. What a blessed thought. I could go on and on and on about all the spiritual blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus. Maybe the greatest gift of all is that in the gospel you get God Himself. In the gospel we get God and He dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian all of these blessings are yours. Enjoy them. Don't forget them. Don't assume them. Receive them. Enjoy God in them this week. We do not serve a stingy God. God has provided abundant resources, never-ending, more than enough, over-the-top generosity in Christ so that we might worship Him rightly. Well, we have a final section of this letter where we see that God has richly provided godly leaders To teach his word. God has richly provided godly leaders to teach his word. We see this in verses 25 and 26. The letter concludes this way And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them. You shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for uh, confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. One thing is for certain. The king was very serious about God's word being obeyed. And so he decrees that Ezra, along with other magistrates and judges, be appointed to teach God's people how to live. Remember, from the Bible's point of view, worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning in the sanctuary, in the temple. Worship happens all the time. We don't just come to worship. We come worshiping, and God provides godly leaders to teach the Bible, model the Bible, equip God's people to obey the Bible in word ministry, has been so helpfully preached for us last week. Certainly, we don't legislate the Bible in the same way that the king does here or the ways that the Israelites did, where adultery has ended in public stoning. But in the life of the church, God's word is the standard, it's the final authority. We seek to conform all of our lives to the holy word of God. And God provides godly leaders to help us do that. Ephesians four eleven to 12, such a helpful scripture for me personally, says that Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of of Christ. God gives shepherds and teachers to equip us, to kick us in the pants sometimes when we need it, to encourage us when we need it, to exhort us when we need it. God richly provides godly leadership to build up his people in him. Here's a question. Do you believe that your pastors are given by God to love and lead and teach you? Or are pastors more like employees of a 501c3 called the church and that are who are hired and fired at will? Pastors, ministers of the word, godly leaders are given. They're raised up. Our text uses the word appointed, commissioned by God to teach us to know the Lord and to know His Word. Pastors are part of God's provision. Teachers of the Word are part of God's provision for His people. God Almighty richly provides us with ministers of the Word to teach us and guide us in our worship of God so that we might worship Him rightly. You'll notice that there are two little Glorious verses left here in our passage. The letter from the king Artaxerxes ends, and Ezra responds to the royal decree of the king in first person, saying in verses 27 to 28, you can see them in your Bibles, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this, into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. What is Ezra's response to this generosity? Does he say King Artaxerxes thank you for being so generous towards us I will make sure that as our largest donor ever that you get the best seat in the temple if you need anything to change just let us know Ezra does not praise Artaxerxes Ezra praises the Lord the God of our fathers Ezra looks right past the human donor and directs his eyes to the one who truly gave this gift, the Lord God himself. Ezra affirms, God did this. God put this thing in the heart of the king. God intended to beautify and adorn his house with worship. God extended to me his steadfast love through this human's generosity. What a great example for us. How do we respond to God when He treats us and deals with us so generously in Christ? We bless God's name. How do we respond to donors, large donors, who give to the work of God's church, to the work of God and His house? We bless God's name. In all of our ministries, on all of our buildings, in all of our hearts, as God's people, we should, we must affirm that the ultimate giver is God. And we give Him the glory alone. I love walking back from the Brown House, where my office is, to the Commons building. I love walking by the front across Seminary Street there. On the Right there on the cornerstone of our Commons building, have you noticed it? It says when it was built, and then in bold letters it says, Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. I love that. The fitting response to God's overwhelming generosity to his people is praise and worship of his name. How is your heart right now? As you respond to the generosity of God in Christ, as you think of your life, as you consider some of the spiritual blessings you have in Christ, does your heart praise His name? Is your heart filled with thankfulness like we just sung? Our text reminds us that the fitting response of God's overwhelming generosity to us in Christ is praise and worship of his name. As a response to God's generosity and praise, but I love this, he also, second half of verse 28, he takes courage. He takes courage, verse 28. Why? For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, he says, and so I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Ezra responds to God's generosity with encouragement to complete God's work. The generosity of God encourages the mission of God. The generosity of God encourages the mission of God. God's generosity should be producing in us a motivation to share the good news with everyone, to build his house and his church, to teach his word and proclaim to everyone the glorious greatness of our God in the gospel. God is generous for a reason. Continue the work. What is the work? Jesus said in the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God has sent us with Christ's authority to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. God has richly provided us with the resources, yes, but also with the authority to worship him and do his work. Are you feeling discouraged this evening? Is your heart burdened by the mountain of ministry in your place? Behold, take a good long look at the generosity of God to provide for His people so richly in Christ. Allow the generosity of God to encourage you this evening. We are going to close tonight spending just a minute together in silent prayer. Pastor Dan's message this morning convicted my heart. I wanted us to start in this obedience. Of course, with singing after this, but also in a moment of silent prayer. I will open us and close us and I ask that in between that for just a moment, just a minute, consider tonight personally One instance of God's generosity to you. Consider in your heart one instance of God's generosity to you and give Him thanks in your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, you are the fountain of all goodness and grace. You are generous, you are loving. And you are holy. And Father, this evening, we want to give you the honor and glory and praise for so richly providing everything that we need to worship you. So now, Lord, we give you thanks in the quiet of our hearts. Father, we thank you for these many blessings and provisions to us. We ask that you would help us to praise you for this and be encouraged to continue in your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.